I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode, where we watch 2019's instant classic, Parasite, directed by Bong Joon-ho and streaming now on Hulu. We'll talk about what makes it a classic and why it's important to the two of us in our conversation, which is already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. Well, I was going to ask you a question about Parasite. I had two two okay. kind of questions prepared. Um, the first is... We're a year plus now. Parasite won Best Picture last year at the Academy Awards, and that was a big deal. And for first foreign language film to ever do that. Uh, my question is, how do you kind of categorize Parasite? Um, you know, is this is it an art house movie? You know, because I think. Uh, oh, I'm also curious. Even before you ask me a question, mm. I had a friend ask me this week what an art house movie what does that mean because i i said that i said that oh it's kind of art housey and this is very pure question from someone who just doesn't um think about movies that often yeah but they enjoy them but they're not like even familiar with that phrase and i'm like oh what 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 movie were you referring to when you said that oh i think it was parasite okay oh i think i was i was saying that it um it's a little bit more art housey yeah for a best picture yeah. to win. Yeah. So, so that was, I mean, it's so interesting. You, you asked that cause that was kind of what I was thinking about. I was like, it was a big deal that it won. Why was it a big deal that it won beyond just that it was a Korean language film. And, and I was trying to categorize parasite and this actually was even spurred by our mom's reaction to the movie. Um, <laughs> which what Mitchell, what did she say about parasite? I, so I rewatched Parasite this week with her yeah. um, and Sarah, again, breaking the premise. But <laughs> mom's review, letterbox review was, it was funny at first, and then it got really dark. <laughs> and I was like, so did you like it? And she's like, yeah, I mean, it was really funny at first, but then it got dark. <laughs> and like, Yeah, I mean, and that... I- I bring it up because because that's a that is like a real honest like initial reaction to the movie and also it 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 kind of illustrates how hard to categorize this one is that and I and I'm try I'm even trying to figure out why it's so hard to categorize but it has kind of the air of art houseness to it because it was foreign language and it when it first started playing here in the U S like you could only go see it at independent you know small theaters that like maybe the perception of it is it's a little intimidating yeah yeah exactly um so so when someone says to you what is art house what do you say uh i was totally caught off guard because it's sort of thing where you kind of uh in theory not in theory but like like it's like describing rock music it's like you kind of understand and can describe the the pieces that go into it but what makes it so different than folk you know yeah it's not so hard to land on, but I was just, I think I was talking about the pace tends to be less, uh, traditional Mm -hmm. or, or predictable. Mm -hmm. And it's not so, I mean, I guess drama is it, is the usual category it fits into, but I feel like they're less focused on 
this is a horror movie or this is a comedy or this is a mm-hmm. um, easily defined trope of a movie that that's main goal is to do good box office numbers. Yeah, that's kind of the way that I think about it. Uh, typically kind of like independent film that is aiming to really be kind of serious high art and not mass you know, box office appeal. Less concerned about that. Yeah, less concerned about that. Yeah. And and high art can still be funny, yeah, or still be you know pieces of genre, yes. But the aim aim feels different, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because I think about like the witch from you know a few years ago, um, right? That's that feels like kind of art house horror to me, right? And you know, it's it's a horror film, but it is not kind of the slasher you know, mass appeal horror of like the purge movies or something or Midsommar from a couple of years ago is like kind of art housey. Right. Um, hereditary, even hereditary, the, you know, the Ari Aster stuff, those are kind of art, art house horror. So, so it definitely can exist in genre. Um, but, but he's, you know, really seeking to really aspiring to kind of a, a real very kind of high artistic uh, aesthetic and value. Um, and I think, I think people do consider parasite, you know, kind of art house. Um, right. And so this was, this was going to be my other question was if parasite had not been a Korean language production, if it had just been an American movie, right. American cast, American director, everything, would it, one still have the art house kind of uh, patina about it um but also would it have done as well in kind of the awards season and gotten all of this rave review it it won the palm d'or the highest prize at the Cannes film festival in in 2019 where it premiered so yeah you heard the question yeah it's funny i think that some of the ideas that parasite is playing with is then showcased with how it was received because I think that, and I'll speak for me even, it's fun to go see Parasite, love it, and really be moved by it, and then also get to hold that over people who are intimidated by it. (laughs) (laughs) Because like I I remember that uh, people around me being like, oh, that's the like subtitle one or... (laughs) Like literally, people said that not to play t- too into Bon Joon's yeah. joke about it, but which I don't know if you want to say his quote, yeah, I mean, his famous quote. You know, his his the director Bong Joon Ho, amazing Korean filmmaker. He, when he won the Golden Globe for best foreign language film, he you know he, in his acceptance speech, and he had just making been making the rounds everywhere because he was winning so many awards. In his acceptance speech, speech he he said, "Hopefully someday American audiences can get over the one inch barrier, and that one inch barrier he is referring to is the subtitles, is kind of opening the the door to world cinema. Is it so you'll you'll be able to see so many more better movies." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's if a whole. You can there, just get over this one inch barrier. There is literally a whole a whole world of movies out there, um, and that are excellent. Yeah, yeah. And so it was funny to me that, like, you you almost get a higher class status symbol in at least film world for being into Parasite. Yeah, especially those you know? first kind of six months or so that it was out. Exactly, and and it's it, it especially compared to other. Like, like for me, it was 1917 was the, yeah. the, the 
that that was the front runner for best picture because it won best picture at um was it the golden it won the golden globes i think it won the pga producers guild awards i mean it was picking up awards everywhere it was a big deal it was right and but like it felt like film twitter's reaction was that's that's you know, for common folks, that's common folks' best picture. But Parasite is like high, highbrow, yeah. high status, which is funny because Parasite is playing with these ideas of status. Yeah. Or, or yeah. And, and this is so. So, so, what do you think? So, so to answer your yeah. question, um, I, I, I don't think it would. If it was a white director, yeah. and in English, it would not have done as well, at all. I think partly it's the Oscars trying to like trying to right some wrongs yeah. of, you know, the Oscars so white thing. But um, I don't know. I think there's a certain amount of clout that comes with art, with, with like film Twitter uh, universe being like, oh, this Korean film, I get to say that. Sure. And like, I, I don't know. So, maybe, maybe I'm assuming I, too I much. I mean, I, I think you're probably right, but I would like, I would like it to not be the case. And, and right. I'll tell you why, because I actually think Parasite is different. It's not just that it's a Korean language film. This movie... Totally. Obviously. Is, it's like a perfect movie. Yeah, it's so well made, and it is planned out and meticulously gone over to, you know, within an inch of its life. I mean, every single frame of this movie has been designed, storyboarded ahead of time. And not just the visuals, not just the fact that they built this custom home for the rich family, you know, for those scenes, because he he had such a precise vision for what the home would look like. It's... Bon Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the... It's the themes that he's able to uncover because I think, I think a maybe a more typical Hollywood production wanting to do kind of a thriller kind of movie like this right. would not be interested in. Who's it. the Ocean's Eleven guy? Steven Soderbergh. Like maybe that type of guy for a movie yeah, like this. Steven Soderbergh's a, a master director, so I don't know what you're saying. But <laughs> but it, it's like the, the much much more popcorn version. Well, I, what I'm. I, maybe but kind of what i'm getting at is i think typically when you see that because i think soderbergh's a little bit different because he is interested in a lot he's he's really interested in a lot of what's what's going on in his storytelling Uh, but i think a typical american production of this would not be interested in any of the social commentary that comes with parasite and they would just do this the plot is the most important thing the plot is king and this is the thriller and where I think I think pretty clearly Bong Joon Ho, and especially the way he dispenses plot uh, so quickly in moments and so slowly in others, that's not the point. the The pace and then the commentary is the point. And right. I mean, I think he wants to make an entertaining movie, right? And I also say I find him, I, I find Bong Joon Ho to be such an interesting uh, figure because, you know, you look at his filmography, and I've. I've seen almost everything he's made. You you've seen most of his stuff too. You right. Know, before this, he was making he made a Netflix film called Okja, which is just kind of a weird like fantasy with like giant cows. <laughs> he made Snowpiercer, which is the wild you know apocalypse on a train movie with Captain America. You know he made The Host, which is just this monster movie, this stri- just straight ahead monster movie. Um, like this guy lives in genre and, and, you know, really kind of some, some kind of level of popcorn entertainment. Right. 
Yeah, it kind of remind me of The Shining a little bit in terms of mm. it, it's still genre, but it's in such masterful. I, are you talking about Parasite? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a really yeah. apt comparison because yeah. right, Kubrick takes Stanley Kubrick takes this extremely popular Stephen King novel in The Shining, and right, and then like does whatever Twisted. he wants with it <laughs> manipulates it <laughs> and and he is such a controlling director too mm-hmm. that you know I, I i think that's a great comparison actually and, and i had heard that i don't, I don't know what where that lands in his filmography but he had some like financial lows off mm-hmm. his last film yeah. so he needed like something from studios saying oh it's a horror movie and he's like, all right, I'm going to totally flip upside down your idea of a horror movie. Yeah. You well, know, so he's able to take that entertainment yeah. and still do his Kubrick, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. uh, application to it. Uh, you know, it's interesting you said that, too, because I think of an interview that I had heard with Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary and Midsommar. And he was, like, not interested in making horror movies. He, like, really had a family drama story that he wanted to tell. But the only way he could sell the script to a studio was if it was a mm-hmm. horror. And so that's how Hereditary came to be this kind of horror genre makes piece. makes sense. And, and that, like, that's kind of what I see in Parasite. It's accessible. And this is, like, if you haven't seen Parasite, go watch this movie because it is so accessible streaming on Hulu yeah, stri- right streaming now streaming on Hulu. It's so accessible because it's just a fun, entertaining thriller through most of its runtime. And there's so little fat on this movie. Yeah. And, and there it's, it's not preachy. I talked about the social commentary in it. It's, it's not a preachy movie. It's not trying to make its point in, in, a, in this obtuse way. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think I've seen it three, maybe four times. Yeah. I think I've seen it four times now. Yeah. And so, like, you know, fourth watch, the ideas are a lot louder. Sure. But I remember the first watch just walking out astounded at how entertaining it was. I, I wasn't so, you know, like you're saying, f- like feeling like, oh, he's trying to say yeah. say so much. And I am distracted by that. That comes but, with later consideration and, and revisiting it. Yeah, totally. And I think that really just illustrates how rich a text this is. This is a rich rich movie that rewards yeah. you know revisiting it and I, and it's entertaining enough that i have no no issue doing that right well yeah and, and why why did we decide to hit this movie back up yeah for this episode yeah, part of it is the kind of the oscars are in a couple of weeks here in april and last year you know obviously parasite won best picture so we're a year into that but for for you and me mitchell parasite is kind of this um it's a meaningful movie for us uh, because yeah. we saw this. I don't know. You want to tell this story? Yeah. Well, I'll say for one, my, I know my hope for this podcast too is to recommend, be recommending good movies. Yeah. And so while we do want to do the, the latest offerings coming out week by week, when there's a lull like there is this week, we want to take a chance to say, Hey, go watch this. Yeah. But we saw Parasite um, I, I, I don't know how vulnerable we should get. I, know, I feel fine. like I say this every episode. <laughs> but I th- we went and saw Parasite on your 30th birthday. Yeah. And I had been living... I, I had moved from Sacramento. We both lived in Sac. You still do. Yeah. Um, and I had been away for about a year yeah. at this point and also just had our our son, Abel. He was about a month old. Oh, yeah. He was really 
really young. Yeah, super young, which, uh, you know, kudos to Sarah for letting me yeah. take a day <laughs> to go to the Bay Area and watch movies and whatnot. But um, it felt like a, holy crap, my brother's turning 30. Yeah. What do we, like, what are we doing? Yeah. More and more, we, like birthdays are never huge in our family. No. Or really, milestones were never huge. Yeah. Or we, we, I don't know if we know how to really celebrate <laughs> those well for each other. Sure, I know? agree. And so I just it had this moment of like, man, you only turned thirty once. Holy crap, time is going by so fast. Yeah. And we were, and we were still like on our journey of getting closer. Yeah. And so I was like, I need to do something special. Yeah. Like we need to have like just a baller day. And so um, we saw, I, I don't remember the name of the theater, but oh, the Alamo draft house, Alamo draft house in San Francisco yeah. is where we saw parasite. Like when it was first kind of released in select theaters, it, I mean, it was, it was basically like opening day. Right. And you are like, we just have to see this. I'd never heard of it. I, like, I, we have yeah. To see this I mean, movie. it was so much buzz cause it had won, you know, the top prize at can a few months before and and I knew you showed me the trailer yeah. and I was like, OK, I mean, I, I knew <laughs> nothing going. about it other than I had watched that first trailer and thought, OK, this is I'm, I I mean, and that, you watch that trailer now and it it's still indecipherable as to what this movie's about. <laughs> right. Which I loved. Yeah. But you didn't know then that it was going to be taking over Letterboxd. No, the next no, no. I just thought I or winning best picture. Yeah, even. I just thought this this feels like it's going to be really just excellent and and. And uh, at that point, the only way for us to have seen it was to drive to San Francisco. It was not playing anywhere closer to us. Right. Yeah. And so we go to this this amazing theater, which when COVID opens back up, <laughs> y'all, y'all need to go. But it, it's just unbelievable when you first walk in, just like the style and architecture and the setting is so lived in just it's like walking back in time and then the actual where you watch the theater they they serve food and drinks to you but it's not at all the um what's the studio Studio movie movie grill grill, which feels like you know the dad's (laughs) dad's den version of a movie theater the the man cave version of a movie theater like the big easy chairs and what, what, should I not be? No, no. I was going to say my favorite thing about Alamo Draft House because I think there there is a distinction. But this is this really typifies it to me. They play at the beginning of the movie. They play. You know, you got when you ever you go see a movie, you see like oh you a little ad for the you know uh, concession stand, which always drives me crazy because it's the last thing they show right before the movie starts, and it's like if I haven't gotten popcorn and a coke at that point, that's the thing that's definitely putting me over the top, but I'm not getting out of my seat. Right. And but the Alamo Draft House plays a little thing where they tell you to get off your cell phones in just about the meanest way possible. And they say, if you are on your cell phone, we will kick you out and we will not refund you. Right. And they do Which, that. <laughs> right. Or or if you're just talking in general. Yeah. If you if you break rules, they ask you to leave because they're very protective over the experience, which is yes, so fun yes. as a person who likes movies. Yes. To, you're already feeling the care that they have. And, you know, even, like, the drink menu is, like, catered to the movie or scene. Yeah, that weekend like, they had like, specifically uh, dishes and cocktails designed to reflect the film Parasite. Right, which only after, because you haven't seen the yeah. movie, do you <laughs> reflect on how dark that peach 
you know, dessert was. <laughs> like, oh my god. Or how stressful so the just ramen a, dish would have been. Right. So it's it's just such a otherworldly movie viewing. If you love movies, yeah. you know. So it was just a special special movie but special like place to see that movie and um so i I think that's definitely part of why this movie sits in like such a magical place in my head but i also think it was in in general like not a turning point for us but like after that day and we you know we did other stuff in san francisco saw a comedian and and caught up with a old friend but it, it felt like some walls came down a little bit yeah. for us to like get closer because high school, college, we weren't as close as we are now. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I remember, I mean, that was a really meaningful day. And for kind me. of again, solidifying the movie bond. Yeah. You know, yeah. Being a big part of it. Well, yeah. And we had, yeah. And for me, it was really meaningful because it was my 30th, but it, you know what? For, for, another milestone that we had just kind of been not celebrating, but observing and reflecting on was Megan had just been just past the two year mark in Ghana with kind of our journey there. And so it was, it was a really difficult season. And, uh, and I just remember that day being a lot of relief and, um, just kind of a break and the movie was so good. Um, and I remember telling people, you know, that week, when they were asking me about my birthday, what I had done, I said, we watched this movie and you are going to be hearing about this movie in March during the award season. Like you're going to hear about this movie a lot. And I said that you're going to be hearing for it from me on a <laughs> podcast in two years. That's how good this movie is. And I say, I mean, we, we just, we were so struck by it. That's, that was such a, 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 a powerful movie. It's not a quiet film in any way. Right. Like, like we walked out, having that moment of man they don't make them like this no. <laughs> it, this is such a rare feeling i'm experiencing coming out of this thing like usually seeing a movie at tower in sacramento or whatever i'm like that was pretty good yeah that was great that was that was that was fun but man that was no words yeah and i think just to close the loop on this kind of art house conversation you know i think um sometimes i see like an art house movie whether on the criterion streaming platform or you know at tower theater here in sacramento the, i'm I just want to shout out Tower Theater. They are reopening. They survived COVID. Thank you. Amazing. Heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Um, you know, you could see an art house movie there. And and sometimes the fact that something feels important or or has the label of art house makes mm. me like the movie more or me kind of be more generous um, in the way that I regard it. And like later reflection, be like, well, that wasn't that great. It was just, I felt like it was, it, it has a feeling of importance about it. Yeah. Like when something, when you see what's on the docket for Tower, yeah, you're like, oh, these are all special yeah. for some reason or another. But yeah, it's funny. So I'm going to bring up mom. She was watching a documentary on Netflix about how Blockbuster closed. Oh, the last Blockbuster on earth. Yeah. yeah. She just started it randomly yeah. while we were in town this week. And it just, was reiterating reminding me how sad i am about most physical media yeah. places being gone like my favorite thing to do was to go to a record store and just browse for hours yep. and and even talk to people that work there recommendations you know and so part of the art house theater th- shtick that i am drawn to is oh these are almost like a recommendation from people who know 
good movies. Yeah, there's a level of curation that happens. Yes, curation. That is... Which is why we love Criterion, too. Yeah. Where they say, here's four movies we think you should watch. Yeah, and... Or revisit. And I think I think that's something you really lose. With I think there's great things about streaming. And there is such access like we've never had before. And, mm-hmm. and you know, just people, people have the just incredible options um we were talking to our grandpa today and and he was talking about john wayne movies he's like i don't even know how to watch john wayne movies and we like pulled up three or four different streaming platforms and we're like here it's like there (laughs) you know um you know i think there's great parts of it but i think the 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 lack of curation um it, it makes it hard. I mean, and, and everybody right. relates to that, right? Everybody has sat on the couch for an hour and a half trying to find a movie. And by the time you pick one, you're too tired to watch one. It's funny how bad the streaming services are at curating. Yeah. They're literally designed with algorithms to push content to you. But then we still sit there for forever trying right. to pick. It's just, it removes the humanity of a friend saying, I know you like this. I think you'll really like this. Yeah. Like I have one friend who actually did our theme music, Andy Carho. Mm-hmm. When he texts me a movie or, you know, an album to check out, yeah. he's usually spot on because he knows what I've liked yeah. in the past. Yeah, so all that to say, I'm excited to revisit this because, one, it feels important to the world, and, two, very important to us. Yeah. So um, what do you love about Parasite? <laughs> well, before kind of talking about why we chose it or, you know, our general thoughts, what, what's a – quick synopsis of this movie in case people haven't yeah. seen it. Um, and, and yeah, obviously we're going to do spoilers and all of that. Um, so Parasite is kind of this, it, it's it's a tricky movie because there's, there, there's a lot of layers and a lot of things going on, but kind of at its core and what it, it kind of presents itself, especially at the beginning, is you have the, the Kim family, mom and dad, and they have older um, two kids, a son and a daughter, Kevin and Jessica. And I don't know, they're young adults, in their 20s kind of university age they live in a, a sub basement um and you know it's 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 an apartment but half of it's underground and they have a window that's basically street level and they live in a neighborhood and um you know they i don't know how would you describe them kind of socioeconomically it, it, it's obvious that they have been uh through the thick of it with of of like trying businesses failed lots of debt yeah like fairly poor yeah. kind of working class the dad you find out has spent time as a as a as a driver in his and kind of in the past for wealthy um you know wealthy clients they've they've tried to open cake shops cake and shop. food shops and all of this and and just nothing seems to be working out at the beginning of the movie you find them folding pizza boxes for a pizza chain and once the boxes are folded, then they can, you know, the pizza chain, the restaurant can use them. Um, but they, you know, that's what they're doing as a family for a living. They're mooching off the neighbors, Wi-Fi, like the whole deal. And over the course of the kind of the first half of the movie, they basically scheme their way into extremely high paying positions as service members um, to the Park family, this very affluent family uh, in this you know, palatial, beautiful home in this gated neighborhood. And, you know, Kevin becomes the um, the tutor for the Park family's daughter. And he, you know, basically is forging 
diplomas and credentials and all of this and and then his sister jessica pretends to be an art teacher art therapy expert for the younger son of the park family um there they get their mom which she learns how to do by just googling art yeah (laughs) they they get their dad to be the driver for for the for the patriarch uh, mr park and then eventually mom becomes the kind of live-in housekeeper and you know part of this is that the park family the affluent rich family they have no idea that these people are all members of one nuclear family that it's mom dad and two they're kids. all recommendations from each other yeah and so they're kind of keeping that aspect of their relationships and identity a secret. And they've basically infiltrated themselves into this family. And they're taking advantage of, you know, this high paying jobs and that's, you know, kind of part part of the lifestyle. And they all... This amazing house that they get to just spend yeah. a lot of time in. And and I and it's and the movie is interesting about it because it doesn't they are definitely taking advantage of the park family but it doesn't feel as though they're doing anything insidious they do get a couple of people fired but they are they're doing the jobs right 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 and at this point in the movie you're, you're thinking about the title you're like <laughs> oh okay that's an easy connection yeah they're a little parasitic they're living off of this wealthier family yeah so the, the poor family you know have infiltrated their way in and then um and then and then the kind of the, the rest of the plot goes and what, what they really discover and this is kind of where the movie does this dramatic turn is that the previous housekeeper had been keeping her husband secretly living in this underground bunker basically under the rich family's home and he lived there. the underbelly he lived there with very little food very little access to the, i mean never left the out to the outside world uh, for four years for for years and part of it was because of just crushing crushing debt and loan sharks that were out to basically you know beat him up and ex, 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 you know destroy his life and and so you know the levels of socioeconomic disparity even increase at that moment you've got the mm. the kim family you know you thought they were poor but their sub basement at least had a window compared to the right. previous housekeeper ha- and her it husband. had some light it had some yeah. light to the outside world yeah but mostly underground exactly and then you know and then but then this other couple is introduced and they live no light underground totally uh, totally locked out and crushing debt, the whole deal, no way out. Yeah. Where, where I think the Kim family, and this is what what is so interesting about the movie. The the Kim family, they have aspirations, they have hopes. Kevin has, you know, at one point when he f- forges the diploma, he makes this comment of like, I don't find this to be a moral issue because I feel like I'm just printing this early. Like he has aspirations. He wants to go to school. Yeah, he's going to go to school and accomplish this. So it's fine if I just do this right now, and. And so that's kind of a really key marker of the Kim family where this other family that's introduced later that's living underground, there is no aspirations to that. They, this is just, they're going to sustain themselves in this way. If anything, they're thankful for this, this uh, kind of limits uh, to their existence. Yes. And the, and the, the, the man that lives under the underground, he uh, kind of exalts and, and um, almost, worships. almost worships Mr. Park, the rich father, in this kind of crazy way because he's like, he's the one who works hard so I can have lights and I can live in this bunker, like have their food. Yeah. And, and, and so it's very, you know, 
so yeah the movie really kind of explodes at that point out into introducing this whole other third dynamic and um yeah i saw a great comparison just real quick i i saw an observation of the kim family's window which is the first shot of the movie and the last shot um and it's just you know gated up and half underground so there's just barely any light coming in uh and you know a, a view of a dirty street with you know people in the gutter basically and then just the comparison of of even windows in in places yeah. and so the um the park family's windows are just massive floor to ceiling uh, seamless the most clear and into a beautiful backyard yeah. and, and all of the light and and potential and hope you could ever need or want and apparently, the, even those windows in the in the Park family's uh, living room are aspect ratio of a TV of a movie screen. Mm. Oh, interesting. It's like uh, they just get to view this epic, yeah, you know, yeah. Their, existence. Their, their, their backyard is so pristine and perfect; it's it should be framed as if it is you know belongs on a movie screen. Yeah, it feels like one of those YouTube videos where it's like relaxing rain for five hours, yeah. and it's like a three D rendered living room, and then obviously. <laughs> Um, the the housekeeper and her husband's n- no light. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's just so many great details like that that he's thinking about. Exactly. Um, director director Bong does so much of like everything is so intentional it to to whether you see it or not subconsciously consciously drawing out the differences and comparisons between the th- kind of the three families in, in here present in the film. Um, yeah. so, but in our, in our third act here. Yeah. So from, from there, you know, obviously the, the, the Kim family has discovered the family living underground and, uh, the, you know, like I think a really key turning point in the movie is this kind of monsoon rainstorm that, that happens while the park family is supposed to be away on their first day of a camping trip. You know, they get rained out. Basically they have to come home. The Kim family was expecting to spend a few days in this palatial, beautiful house while their rich boss family was gone. And, you know, all of a sudden they're caught off guard um, because the family's come back home and it's, and it's, you know, because of the rain, and they're complaining about the rain and how they their camping trip was cut short. So the Kim family, they you know basically marched their way back home through all these neighborhoods, and and the way that Bong Joon Ho you know frames all of this, it's this descending down into their neighborhood. It's endless staircases and all of the roads slope, and so you get the effect of obviously they're descending back down to their sub basement, but also all of the water is flowing in one direction. <laughs> Yep. And and as they get closer and closer to the neighborhood, the the water increases. They finally get to their street right at the bottom of this long staircase, and what they what they find is basically a foot of water flooded. And when they right. see that, they know. Yeah, and we had just experienced them descending a staircase into the basement of the Parks family's house. Yeah. Oh yeah. So there's all these great and and even the the Park family when they come home. And from their garage into their house, they ascend a staircase. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these images playing on top of each other. Yeah, and so you have the 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 Park family at the top of everything, and yeah, the rain comes and it affects them, 
but in the most inconsequential ways. The Kim family shows back up at their home, their sub-basement, and it's completely flooded. And they're, I mean, to try and save anything, there's nothing to there's nothing to do. And, and in an off comment, it's it's all sewage. Yes, too. yes, it's just raw sewage pouring into this into the street and then into their sub basement, and that's what you know they have to, um, to to come home to. And I and I think that and obviously it sets up the whole ending of the movie. They sp- seem to spend the night with a, a lot of displaced people from their neighborhood in like a public school gymnasium. You know, they're they're sorting through piles of donated clothes in the morning and when they get the call oh our camping trip was rained out we're throwing a birthday party on our front on our back lawn instead we want you guys to come and you know so obviously mom has to come because she's a housekeeper and dad has to show up because he has to help do the shopping to get ready and they've been through what i can only imagine is one of the most traumatic experiences of their lives to basically lose everything they own in this you know horrible flood and they've got to show up at their rich family, their rich boss's house where they're completely unaffected. Actually, not only unaffected by the rain, but boy, everything looks so much greener and it smells nice. Right. In an off comment, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Park says the rain was such a blessing because it cleared the pollution for today. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> such a blessing for them. And then all these families, entire lively hoods are destroyed. Yeah, I mean and and what ends up coming to a head in those final scenes at this party is this really kind of violent ending where in which kind of the 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 bitterness and resentment that all of these different people feel towards each other kind of erupts in this kind of raging violence and everyone uh, you know the the Kim family and the family living in the basement of the rich home like they're at their breaking point in every way and the way that that you know, expresses itself here is in this violent end. And, and it's kind of this shocking, you know, horrifying thing. Um, because up until this point, it's not a violent movie. Like this is not a bloody thriller or or by any means. And all of a sudden it is, it is absolutely that explosive. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, which is a little brief synopsis. We'll get more into it, but you know, Mitchell, you you kind of suggested let's get straight into our segments, our favorite shots here, because I think it'll help guide uh, our conversation at this point. Yeah, well, I'll start with an earlier one then. Uh, it It's one of my favorite moments because I noticed it more in my second watch, but uh, you mentioned that they're folding pizza boxes at the beginning of the movie to sell to a pizza company. Is this yours? Yeah, you're stealing, you're taking, you're stealing that... my favorite shot, but go ahead. Here, you, you go. I got All more. Right. I got All more. Right, yeah. You go. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're uh, folding pizza boxes, and uh, their their boss, I guess, shows up, and it's you know some rep uh, in a van from the pizza restaurant, and I mean, what, what some teenage girl, some like twenty something girl, right? Right, right. And yeah. she's criticizing the way that they're folding the pizza boxes, and it, which, to be fair, it was awful. Yeah, they were not doing a good job, and she's trying to like kind of scheme them out of some money, and they're not going to pay them in full. And then they're up outside of their apartment. And then one by one, members of the Kim family start to surround this poor girl. But, like, she's so centered frame. And for a while, it's just her we're seeing. Yeah. And then just one member of the family approaches her and is like, hey, come on. Like, we can figure this out. And And the camera is so slowly moving towards in her. Yeah. 
And it's like, hey, you know, we hear you have you're having problems at work. We know you can't do this without us. You know, blah blah blah. Maybe we can make some arrangement. And then then cue another member of the yeah, family. Yeah, the next member, and the next member, and the next member. All of a sudden, all four members of the Kim family have just completely surrounded this girl, where she has, she she totally feels boxed in, surrounded, and has no other option but to give in. Right. Right. And it is. It's so so perfect because it's not overt it's it's not overt like you said you noticed it on a second viewing um and i i think i mean i think it's setting you up unconsciously for what's about to happen because right like uh i feel i feel claustrophobic i feel claustrophobic (laughs) i feel uncomfortable i'm watching these people manipulate this poor girl but you don't know what the movie's about and then of course that's what they do they put the kim family in these positions where they have no other choice but to hire them for the next job, go with the the dad for the um, for the town car driving, go with mom for the housekeeping. I mean, you you watch their manipulation skills in this kind of um, you can't escape us. Yeah, in in, in this microcosm of a single shot, right. this is what's going to play out for the next hour, and it's brilliant. And it's all within the first three minutes of the movie. Yeah, and it is yeah. absolutely brilliant, and it's not banging you over the head with it like you said it, there is a subtlety to this but the camera movement is unreal but there is this kind of insidious underbelly here of like whoa this this family okay interesting i i love that yeah. shot i love how quickly what I'm, we've said this on the pod before but how quickly it is it is so clear that bong jun ho is just taking you exactly where he wants you to go he is right. grabbing you by the ears and dragging you through this movie. Right. And I think it is timely that we're talking about it now. After a year of COVID mm. and and kind of seeing the, I mean, especially living in California, the gap between the wealthy and middle class and poor just yeah. gets so much more dramatic. Yeah. Like, what was that? Like, the the... 20 billionaires that made you know or it was Mm. 20 people who became billionaires this year and it's like we can't even figure out how to get people you know their rent covered when we're also telling them they're not allowed to work and And they're not allowed to leave their house you can't leave you can't work but you got to pay all your bills and people are feeling that that weight (laughs) I can't pick myself up yeah. by my bootstraps because you're taking my bootstraps away. Yeah, I mean, I remember so much talk early in the pandemic was like kind of the performative um, uh, uh, wealth signaling in like Zoom calls <laughs> of like. Oh, right. Like how nice oh, your shelves were. Yeah. I mean, and obviously we saw that in the very, you know, at this point, uh, famous Twitter account of my Zoom background Raider, the guy on Twitter who would rate people mm. like, like interviewees on CNN, like would rate their zoom background and, and basically like hardcore judge them for what books they had and, and their, how look what they chose. Yeah. To how good their house plants looked. And it's like, Oh, yeah. this kind of like performative wealth in the middle of a pandemic is where like, it, I mean, it's just so <laughs> crazy human nature, right? Even in the middle of this, extraordinary global crisis we're still looking for ways to show off (laughs) right well and that's what i love about like even that first 
scene where they're crowding this girl and you get the sense that this family is not a good family. Yeah. Like I do not want to root for them, but they're, they're also the ones in like abject poverty. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, like, like yeah. they, the movie doesn't instantly sympathize with them just because they are down on their luck, which they are. Yeah. And, and a lesser movie would make the park family, the rich family into, you know, unredeemable villains just right. for being, and, and actually the park family, they're, they're doing the least insidious stuff in this film. Right. They like, seem to be their, their, their biggest, their biggest sin is ignorance of the, the yeah, people to, around them. Yeah. I mean, they, they make kind of judgmental comments, you know, towards the, the smell of the, the, the Kim family's laundry and that kind of a thing. But, but yeah, I mean, it's that comment you said earlier of, Oh, the rain was such a blessing. It got rid of the pollution. They don't know what that neighborhood went through. It's not that they're right. insensitive and saying that. And it's like, Oh, it, it, they just don't, they have no idea. And right. And in fact, they seem like pretty good bosses. They pay very well and right. there's a lot of perks to working for them. And, and so it's, I think it's a, it's a smart thing that the movie does to not make the rich people, the villains. And what what do right. you think he's trying to do with that? I, well, for, I know for me that, and when it gets that preachy, you're you're less open to actually hearing mm, about yeah, ideas. It's just you, you don't want to talk about ideas because I yeah. see myself in, in both these families. Yeah. You know, it's similar to Minari where it's like I see myself in the dad and the son. It's like yeah. if you play too too tropey to one or the other, you lose half half the people in the room. Yeah. You know. And I think that's I, I think that's a good point. And I think I think part of it, it I, it's interesting you say that he chooses to be less preachy to kind of invite you in to really think about and consider the points he's making. And I think it's almost a, the more preachy thing to not make them the villains because now he's actually pointing the finger at the systems, the, mm. the societal structures that are in place that allow for disparity, that... Uh, uh, kind of allow for the kind of uh, uh, people in systems that inherently are going to face the consequences of things out of their control right? in a way that somebody that is more secure and stable is not going to experience that, obviously. Or, or it, it is directly benefiting from it. Yes, yeah. Um, and I mean, and that's obviously what you just said with COVID of, you know, the people that are vulnerable were vulnerable before are all the more vulnerable now. Right. And, and, and so I think, I think by making this rich family sympathetic, I think you're trying to look for, okay, well actually what's, who's the villain here? What's, what's the problem? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So Mitchell, you, I, you tried to steal my favorite shot and then you let me take it. What is, What's another? You said you had a couple. So what's one for you? I'll I'll just name off. Obviously, the peach motif or montage. Oh uh, yeah, is is one of the most impressive. What is it? Minute thirty. Uh, I've a- ever seen in a movie. But I, you know, y'all know that scene. You, you, uh, you're th- talking about. Said. You're you're talking about kind of the they're 
they're now going to get their mom the job as the housekeeper. Right. And and what I what I'm so impressed by it is you watched Kevin get the job as the tutor and then they do this whole song and dance of getting Jessica, the art therapy thing, and then they go through a couple of scenes to get dad in. And it would be really easy to just do the kind of same thing, do it over the course mm-hmm. of a couple of scenes. But Bong Joon-ho is like, no, I got things to do. We're going to put all of this in this crazy, quick edited, tight, no fat on it montage. And then, and and, it, and like I said, it's this inflection point in the movie. And I think the montage serves to, like yeah you come out of it and it feels different now yeah and um the nerd writer which is a, a youtuber he does video essays he's got a great one about this moment in parasite yeah. and, he, and i think he breaks it down to it being like 31 frames or 31 31 you know, shots. cuts or something yeah and, and in a minute 30 that bong ju ho is able to tell the story just yeah like seamlessly but yeah. so obviously that one's great but the t- there's a couple of just rapid fire ones uh the husband that's living in the basement when he pops his head up um mm. to see uh what's the little boy's name the song yeah uh when the is eating his birthday cake in the middle of the night and he looks over that pitch black staircase and what what the set design is unreal in this movie i know because that that staircase is always just framed in this black rectangle surrounded by like well-lit dishware you know fine kind of dark dark wood paneled cabinets it will it's like the entrance to go to the basement that goes into the basement is yeah. a perfectly unlit black depths portal rectangle. Yes. And so uh, the song is, it's his birthday zine, birthday cake in the middle of the night. And it's kind of a flashback the mom is telling. And the husband who lives in the depths is like peeking his head up, see if he can get some food. But good God, is it one of the most oh terrifying shots I've ever seen in a movie. I, I, I felt my heart rate jump. It's not a scary movie no. by any means, but that shot was... Uh, was something his eyes the contrast between the whites of his eyes and the deep 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 black of the uh, uh, yes. of the basement beyond it's one of the most absolutely ghostly I- images in the film yeah and, and yeah the pace the slow that bald head of his just poking up so that's special and then um i got two more yeah, I, let's just go, just go more. through them all right uh, the was it Ram Don? It, it's a dish. Oh, the, that... yeah, the the ramen kind of hybrid dish. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Uh, and the the preparation of that is is just so nice to me. And I and I heard a commentary on it of just obviously ramen noodles representing in a lot of ways the like the food yep. of 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 the poor, yep. um, classic college students who have no money, but. You know, a lot past that. Obviously, noodles uh, wouldn't be enough for this family. Just, you know, common noodles. And so it's topped with sirloin steak, one of the nicest cuts of steak. Yeah, and this kind of like... just so casually, casually tossed in there. Yeah, and this kind of like hybrid dish, at least what I've heard of kind of the the ramdam with whatever, the two different kinds of noodles and whatever spices they're putting in there is just kind of a staple of lower income families of like kind of mixing flavors and things together. But that, like you said, the rich family couldn't just do that. 
you have to put the nicest cuts of sirloin you've ever seen you have to waste it yeah it's like it's like wasting an ingredient that would be so yes. taken care of and cherished by anyone else yeah. and they're like yeah whatever it's nothing to us and then what and throwing it, it on top like then they all argue at the end at once once it's finished they all argue over who's gonna eat it <laughs> yeah they're like oh he doesn't want it i guess i'll eat it you know yeah and, and i heard someone say just that that high level expense ingredient just sitting on top of this bed of of cheap ass noodles <laughs> and, and it's just like a great another level of like the rich people just sitting on top of the poor yeah yeah wow you know. wow uh, yeah i know yeah. um but the and then the last shot that's more just like a perfect shot like because the noodle is kind of a another montage, montage but yeah. but is uh jessica after the house their house has been flooded she's sitting on their toilet which is elevated it's so weird um, it's like you have to step it, up two or three feet of tile up to the toilet yeah which yeah it's like the toilet is the same level of their tiny window yep. and um again explosive sewage just erupting from the toilet so she sits on the lid of it to keep it keep it down and uh earlier in the film you see her doing that when it's not flooded and she's trying to find a wi-fi signal yeah. but now uh she's just smoking a cigarette that she's hidden in in the um the ceiling like boards but it's a great moment because an hour before she was drinking expensive whiskey in the nicest house yeah that they've ever seen just as a shot on its own the 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 camera is like half underwater because you can feel the water rising and you get that light from the cigarette and it's just it's just perfect yeah yep and 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 i think it's even her just sitting on the lid trying to keep it in and utterly failing because it's still just pouring out right like like there's there's nothing to be done there is nothing to be done and so we're just gonna sit and have a smoke yeah (laughs) or another shot that i love is when um the housekeeper is first waking up mrs kim and she's asleep on a table outside oh yeah and the housekeeper like claps in her face (laughs) to wake her up but there's also a great like the 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 walls in this house are all windows and yep. um, one of the few seams that you see with the windows connecting them is splitting the housekeeper and Mrs. Kim just to there's constant yes. constant separating of the working class and the wealthy. Yeah. But and it seems like there's like a slight suggestion that Mrs. Kim might have a pill problem. <laughs> it it's it's an interesting thing because he he puts those things in there and then doesn't uh, really return to them uh it, it yeah and i think he does that really well because it really serves these very quick simple characterizations for everybody like he's just giving you enough to really formulate uh what uh, you know just this kind of a picture of this person without having to do exposition or backstory or any of that it just kind of oh yeah i, I get this this is wealthy bored mom <laughs> like yeah that, that could be her only enjoys planning parties doing too much day drinking right <laughs> yeah planning parties and hiring the help to do the work she doesn't want to mm-hmm. do and i think you he, i think he does that really well with most everyone in the movie yeah it's so lived in yes there's just so many great ongoing motifs that he he is constantly reminding you of but not hitting you over the head with unlike the stone 
Oh yeah, the the scholar stone that actually gets knocked into somebody's head. So okay, so he multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is a master of weaving these motifs into the the fabric throughout the whole course of the film. So what was one that stuck out to you? Well, I mean, the stone is obvious as like as given to him by a wealthy friend, which is supposed to bring wealth to a family, and so he's drawn to it and clinging on to this vision of himself and his family of like, we can get there with this thing. And then ironically yeah. it's used to bludgeon his head in. But uh, another yeah. motif is er- early on Desung, yeah, uh, the little boy, he's, um, he, you know, he's just playing like the, the, the house is spotless always, except for when he shows up and, you know, throws his toys into the mix. And it's always like he's shooting a bow and arrow and he's got this uh, like Indian headdress on native american headdress on and um and that's like his room is a it has a tp in it and there's a part of the movie where he's sleeping outside in a tp and there's all this like like kind of tropes of native american imagery that the rich family is is playing or you know the kid plays with at least very very much kind of the uh like Halloween version, yeah, the Halloween American Halloween version of that, like the kind of old Western movies version of this, the Peter Pan, yeah, problematic, yeah. version, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and so even the ending, which uh, is Mister Park with Mister Kim saying, "Hey, we're gonna dress up as Indians and and try to steal the uh, birthday cake, oh, steal the no, no steal <laughs> Jessica, yeah, steal Jessica, that's right." And then the song's gonna come out and you know slay us and save the day. And there's just all these layers of, of like it, it's played so nice because like oh this rich family, let's <laughs> say we're gonna be slayed, and <laughs> and also just the son being obsessed with that world, and and just knowing their place in history. It yeah, is, and, it's like oh that and forcing upon the working class, Mr. Kim you are going to right. be a native american with me and you are going to get slayed right i am paying you extra like there's yes. an intense moment because mr kim is like quote unquote crossing the line with some questions yeah um and he's like you need to stop this right now i'm paying you you're going to do this you're going to be slayed yeah and and yeah like you said i just think again w- so again like the ignorance of the family yes pl- playing like steering into you know, very problematic yeah. comparisons and connections to history. And and it is it's woven in there just so subtly that Yeah, you just think, oh, he's having fun. Yeah. He's a little kid yeah. playing with these toys. And, and again, I, one of our, our common kind of the, themes of this out this conversation is the the subtlety that Bong Jun Ho does this so it never feels preachy. Right. right. You can watch that movie and not feel like, oh, that's weird the way they play with Native American motifs to continue subjugating well, other people. Right. And it's like, oh, but it's there. It's clearly there. Right. And, and this rich family plays with these motifs having no idea of the actual history. It's funny. <laughs> there, like, there's a moment where the parents are saying, because they're watching their son camp in a CB and it's raining. Mm. And they're like, do you think it's going to leak? And the wife is like, no, we it's it's me. It, we got it from America, so it should be <laughs> high quality. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, another motif is just 
um, like smell yeah. in general in the movie, which is mentioned multiple times with Mr. Kim smelling like, um, and then they try to be very specific. It's not an old man smell. It's not poor smell. Yeah. It's like an old radish or when you try to boil a rag to clean it, <laughs> which, you know, if you asked me, what does an old radish smell like? I'd be like, I have no idea, but the description is so perfect. I'm like, I feel like I know what this yeah, is, right? Yeah. It's, it's not pleasant. And so, um, and part of, part of all the roles that they, that this family assumes with, uh, the wealthy family, it's like, they're working class jobs, but they're also fairly intimate jobs because they have to be so close yes. to the Kim family or the the Park family. Yeah. And so Mr. Kim is driving, uh, and Mr. Parks like in that car. It's a very small space. Yeah. It's like gain that smell, that distinguished uh, smell of poverty, I guess. Yeah. But part of it, it feels like it's trying to go deeper about. You well, know, and, and every family like, member it, has that smell. Right, and DeSung notices yes. that. And so then they, they smell like each other. Then they decide they have to start doing their laundry separately and different detergents to have different, you know. But it doesn't that. go away. Exactly, it doesn't yeah. go away. Yeah, and the fact that it doesn't, it feels like he's trying to say something of like, like this is almost inescapable. Yeah. This this funk of of your life situation and and it and like to try to ascend to a, a different class in society is impossible you've been marked by this this smell <laughs> and he just keeps escalating this motif you know the the day of the party after this you know torrential flooding right mr mr kim has been wading through sewage in his house he somehow gets you know clothing enough gets going enough and gets a suit to be there that day driving Mrs. Kim around for the errands for the party, right? And he looks good for a guy who's home and been through yeah, hell. Yeah. He looks good for a guy who's been through hell and Mrs. Kim's in the back of the car sniff sniffing this old radish smell like oh, here it is. It's to the point where they're almost going to fire him. Yeah, yeah. Like it's almost a deal breaker. And then and then all of that, you know, finds its resolution or climax in you know the 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 man from the basement below coming out, you know, interrupting the party, and trying to attack the Kim family because they're a threat to his existence. Yeah. And Mister Mister Park, you know, kind of faces him head on, and the the man from the basement is trying to like praise him and and all of that, and um, and and Mister Park is so disgusted by the smell of the man living in the basement. Well. Yeah, because um, Mrs. Mrs. Kim skewers him yes. with a barbecue skewer yeah. after they have a tumble, yeah. and he fell on his keys, and he's trying to oh, rush. That's, yeah, that's right. And, and one of the best parts of this is, like, there's mayhem. Jessica's been stabbed. People are dying. <laughs> and the the Park family is only concerned about their son who fainted. Like, he fainted. Yeah, he's having this kind the, of – he, he's, he's having, like, a seizure. It's, they're worried it's this kind of seizure thing that he's had before. Right, and so they're like, we need to get to the hospital. But in the meantime, there are people bleeding out and dying, on, 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 literally dying on the grass. And uh, but the guy from the basement is laying on his keys, and so he's got to roll him over to get to his keys. And when he does, he makes that god awful smell face. Yes, the same face, the same thing. And it's this funny moment of like all the chaos around him, and you're still worried about the smell. And that's when right. Mr. Kim 
just snaps. Triggers him. Yeah. It's the constant reminder of his life situation. Yeah. And how he'll never ascend. Yeah. And now this, even this guy who worships Mr. Park, he's like, yep, you guys are below. Yeah. 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 And you need to stay below. Yeah. And then, and obviously, so he kills Mr. Park and then runs off. He goes below. <laughs> and he goes into the basement and that's where he hides and hides and nobody finds him there. And he, and he just does. He descends into that. Right. Which then leads into the epilogue, which is just the fallout of that massacre. Yeah. Jessica has died. Our main character, I forget his Kevin. name, which is Kevin, um, has brain uh, trauma yep. and brain damage. And him and the mom are just trying to find their way back into life. And it's assumed the dad is still living in that basement even after a new family has moved in. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to speak. Yeah, I mean, it. I just, and the, the ending, the kind of epilogue has this, you know, Kevin has discovered that his dad's living in the basement and, um, and his dad is like communicating to him through Morse code, through blinking lights, right? And so you know what what then plays out through narration is kevin writing out a letter that he's going to try to send to his dad through morse code yeah and this letter is all aspirational hope for the future it is i am going to go to university and i'm going to get that diploma for real this time and i'm going to be extraordinarily successful and I'm going to have all this money and I'm not going to stop working until I have enough money to buy that house so that one day, which will allow you. Yes. Which will allow you to ascend from the depths of this basement. And I don't think the movie is presenting that as a reality. And no, we see it play out and and, but it's like so optimistic aspiration. And then obviously, like you said, the final shot of the movie is that sub basement window. It's the same shot as the first, it's, the first one in the movie. Same shot as the first one in the movie. Socks are drying, like cold. It's snowing out. And I, I don't know. I, it, I, how do you take that ending? Just similarly yeah. of like, the, the, I, there's no way that this happens. No, actually. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, Kevin just came out of brain damage. Yeah. Like he's not going to school and you know becoming wildly wealthy, but like the I don't know the hope, I guess the sliver of hope. Yeah, but it, I think it's more like this whole adventure of this movie, and he's right back in the same exact place that he started. Yeah, it's like man, it is hard to change your status yeah. to get out or above what life has given you. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of how I read it. It's like that you can have this aspirational hope and, and that, but that doesn't, that does not mean that anything is going to change. And I, I don't think the movie is so pessimistic to say that nothing can change mm -hmm. uh, because it, it paints that it paints the possibility of it in there. You know, yeah. I, it's, it's not like Kevin has this, you know, wild, crazy dream that this is going to happen. And then somebody comes in and kills him and that's snatched away. The movie ends with him still being, you know, this young person and, you know, he has his life ahead of him. So something could happen. But I also think the movie says, yeah, for something to happen, it would have to be crazy. <laughs> right. It'd have to be so idyllic. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I appreciate that kind of cathartic yet still hopeful note that the film ends on. Um, 
And that's what I appreciate about it. It's not this kind of dour, sorrowful, screed against society and economic oppression. Society. You know, all this stuff is in there. And, you know, the director's concerned. Um, Right. And he invites us to have, like, real concern for other people. Right. I mean, I think. Right. I think one of the the interesting things is just, like, how, how do our neighbors... You know, and by neighbors, I mean these two families. You know, how are they affected by what's going on around us? And I think we're invited into that. And I think that's that's where change can happen. I think that's where where progress can happen. Um, I, yeah. I think so much of the story is the Park family is their ignorance, like you've been saying. And so, right. So what's right. what what does that adjustment for them look like? Almost. Uh, George Costanza wraps this movie up beautifully and maybe this episode you know he says we live in a society we're supposed to act in a civilized way <laughs> and uh, that's parasite, yeah, that's parasite. I, I love this movie so much i'm so glad we got to re- revisit this uh so worth your time and i hope you know if you if you listen to this episode and you have seen parasite before but haven't watched it recently it's really also worth revisiting it is so good and and what i appreciate about it like i've said before the richness of this text rewards the revisiting you're going to notice the motifs the patterns the the way that he's constructing this i mean everything is up and down staircases and up and down in elevation i mean that's that's something we hardly talked about um but it's it's all there in nearly every shot of the movie yeah it was a big year for staircases in movies yeah what was the other one the joker oh yeah joker (laughs) should we should move on to letterbox review i mean i think it's obvious at this point what we rated it (laughs) i gave it a five stars of course which is rare for letterbox i don't i don't hand those out half-heartedly yeah, I also gave this five stars, and this ended up Parasite uh, pretty kind of obviously ended up on my list, uh, the top of twenty nineteen movies. And yeah, so I think I think um, Parasite is one of those that is going to be talked about for a long time. I mean, it's the highest rated movie on Letterbox, and we are helping contribute to that with our five star reviews. True. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's kind of wrap things up. Um, we want to tease a little bit what we're doing next week. Uh, yes. Mitchell, do you want to introduce this? So Matthew comes along and tells me, you know, we're trying to figure out what we're going to watch. And here he comes with his Godzilla versus King Kong. (laughs) And I'm like, you just put me through the Snyder cut and now you want this sequel, I think. Because I don't want, I haven't seen any Godzilla. I, I believe it is recently. the culmination of the Godzilla King of the Monsters, another Godzilla, and then like Kong Skull Island. I don't know. I haven't seen any of them. Anyway, we're watching the new streaming on HBO Max Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. <laughs> but why we're doing that and also what we're watching, I'm going to let Matthew explain. Yeah. Uh, I realized. I had never seen the original Godzilla, the Japanese film from 1954. Uh, and, and and that was really interesting to me because Godzilla is so ubiquitous in our culture, even though it doesn't seem as though we've had a good Godzilla movie in, what, decades? 
Since Matthew Broderick in 1998. Yeah, I'm sure we will talk about that movie uh, next week. Uh, but High Mitchell, cinema. You, Mitchell, you've never seen the original Godzilla. No, I have not. Either. Yeah. So no, we are not. going to watch the original Godzilla, the 1954 film. Uh, it, if you want to, it is streaming on the Criterion channel right now. Yeah, and you know we both really like Criterion, and I'm kind of very curious this kind of company that's known for curating high quality movies that are really worth your time and they do great work on restoration for their thousandth release they chose to do the Godzilla collection of films and you know so there's there's obviously some something valuable here and and part of this is we've been telling the monsters come and destroy our city story for you know 70 years <laughs> And here we are, Godzilla versus King Kong. It's still happening. So uh, we're going to have some fun with the new one. We are going to watch the old one if you want to. It's on the Criterion streaming platform, Criterion channel. Um, direct showdown. Yes, direct showdown. <laughs> Comparison between the two. Uh, it's, they, they go head to head, much like Godzilla and King Kong. And I, I, I can't speak before the episode or anything, but I'm also assuming if you haven't seen these movies uh, I think it's going to be an easy conversation to jump right into. In the meantime, Mitchell, how can everybody keep in touch and follow us? You can follow us on Instagram at movies while they sleep. You can follow us on Twitter, although we're less active there because, hey, it's really tough to get followers on Twitter. <laughs> hey, if you want but to, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> at MWTSpod. And then... Uh, we always love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm told it helps a lot, so I'm sticking with that. That's right. And um, and yeah, and we're slowly getting on YouTube, but Instagram is where we do most of our hanging with you guys. We will be back next week. We're watching two, count them, two Godzilla movies just for you, listeners. We can't wait. Mitchell, have a great week. You too, Matthew. And to everyone listening, good night, y'all. Bye. All right. I'm going to go to bed. The Wine Club.